Today's episode of the City Smack Podcast on the City of Smack Podcast Network is brought to you by Strava. In recent weeks, I've shared with you my thoughts on why I think it is the best fitness and training app. It's for athletes and by athletes. In addition to their app and their website that connects runners and cyclists from all around the world, they are now tapping into the podcasting game. Earlier this month, they launched the Athletes Unfiltered podcast, which is available to stream wherever you get your podcast fix and on Apple Podcasts. Their second episode just dropped, and it tells the story of three people who faced adversity and how they persevered. One is a mountain biker who is helping rebuild the trails after wildfires ravaged California. Another is an army vet who battled cancer and a broken femur before getting back on the bike. And a third is a runner who turned to her community for the courage to speak out against sexual assault. That episode is titled Rising from the Ashes, and you can stream it now. But here's a clip to give you a better idea of what the show is all about. I had nothing to lose. I thought, oh, could I ever run across America? Welcome to Athletes Unfiltered, a new podcast brought to you by Strava. On the show, we'll hear extraordinary stories from the Strava community, told by the runners and cyclists who live them. I was all bruised and scratches. I've done 6,500 miles since they told me that I would probably never ride a bike again. You can subscribe to Athletes Unfiltered right now because every athlete has a reason to keep going. That's Athletes Unfiltered. You can check it out today on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast fix. And in addition to their podcast, Sidious Mag podcast listeners will have the chance to try Strava's premium features on Summit. You can go to strava.com slash summit and use promo code Sidious in all lowercase, that's C-I-T-I-U-S, while purchasing an annual subscription and you'll get an exclusive discount. Once again, that's promo code Sidious, C-I-T-I-U-S, all lowercase, Strava Summit. Try it today. My guest for today's show is Reed Fisher of Tin Man Elite. If the name sounds familiar, it's because he was previously on the podcast when we did that special panel last summer at the U.S. Championships with the whole Tin Man squad. But this is the first time that Reed is going to be on the show by himself. Reed joins us just a couple days after he finished as the top American at the Houston Half Marathon. He finished 10th overall in 62.06. That was a personal best of more than 50 seconds than what he ran at a really low-key half marathon in Indianapolis last fall. He's obviously qualified to run in the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. So in this episode, he shares some insight into his plans before racing in Atlanta in February of 2020. There's always that intrigue when an American runs crazy fast in the half marathon of how they're going to fare at the marathon distance. Will they even test the marathon distance before the trials? Reed shares some insight into his plans. Uh, what's impressive to me is that Reed, at just 23 years old, he's younger than me, has emerged as a very strong distance runner for the United States, but has accomplished all of this without a professional contract with any sponsor and without an agent. However, after we taped this podcast, he told me to keep an eye out for his Instagram page on Tuesday morning because some of that might change. There could be some fun news to announce there. In the meantime, this was a very fun chat, so I hope you enjoy. Let's start the show.
All right, we're back with Reed Fisher. Reed, this is uh, your second time on the podcast, first time individually. Uh, I'm stoked to have this interview with you. Um, just a couple days removed from the Houston half where you ran 62.06, I believe it was. Um, so first off, I mean, how are you feeling? Uh, how was that race? I, I wasn't going to say how are your legs feeling, but that's where I was, <laughs> that's where I was going. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, to humor you, my legs are feeling good. For there sure. we go. <laughs> no. Uh, Full disclosure, they're still pretty wrecked. That was my second half, so legs are definitely still getting used to the distance, but they're coming around, and, and yeah, I'm happy to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so pretty much last time people heard from you, if they went back and listened to the podcast, was we had a little bit of a Tin Man roundtable in June, the day after you ran the 10K at the U.S. Championships, and I believe you finished third, was it? Uh, fourth. But fourth, yeah. but it was a breakout performance for you. Mm -hmm. And you spoke a little bit about how that was pretty much like one of the best races that you put together in recent years. So from there, where did you take things? You ran a half marathon in the fall. You ran at, uh, you represented the U.S., right, at the NACAC, right? NACAC yep. championships? Yeah, for sure. Which was a weird race, right? There was like four guys in it. <laughs> yeah, there was three Americans and a Canadian guy. So <laughs> super steep competition. But yeah, very, very cool to represent the U.S. That's something I had on kind of my my running bucket list for a while. And, and certainly I hope that's, that's not the last time that I'll represent the U S I've got a lot of big goals and I think that's a good step in the right direction. And we'll see what I can get done in the next few years here. Being a 10 K guy, like, mm -hmm. I guess that's what you were billed as pretty much when you, when you had that performance on track, having your best track performance be a 10 K and knowing that the 10 K isn't like the sexiest event out there, <laughs> at least for the track, I'm sure it wasn't like a surprise that maybe there weren't too many like sponsorship opportunities or anything that came up because as of right now, you put together this performance in Houston with no agent, no sponsor. You're just as blue collar as it gets. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I think if you look at the USA track champs this past summer, obviously that was a huge breakout performance for me um, and a race that I'll hold dear for a long time. But at the same time, like, it's an off year. There's, there's no world championships. There's no Olympic games. Um, so I wasn't expecting agents to be knocking down my door after that. I knew it was a, a good day for me, but maybe not in the eyes of, of shoe companies and things like that. Um, so I knew if I wanted a contract or if I wanted to start working with an agent, I would have to do something bigger on a, on a more competitive scale, both in the U S and globally. Um, unfortunately that lined up as, as this past Sunday in Houston for me. So that was super exciting for sure. Yeah. So when it came to the fall and you mm -hmm. wanted to run this half marathon, was it a smooth buildup or how exactly did you go about is it, it just seems like a natural transition to be like, okay, you ran a good 10 K on the track. That means you could probably put together a good half marathon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And that was kind of the thinking between uh, me and Tom, our coach. Um, we kind of looked at the half as a great opportunity and, you know, I thought that half marathon trial standard to get the B standard would be, a pretty modest ask for a guy like me um and just to have that in my back pocket heading into the next 12 months up to the trials is is something we can kind of play around with and, and see what we're thinking heading into 26.2 and so yeah i think for a guy like me it's either you take the fall to kind of recoup and and just gear up for a big spring again or you can look at it as an opportunity to, to play around with things and try some new stuff on the roads and that was definitely something that excited me so yeah, uh, debuted out at the Indy Monumental half in November and 
ran 60 to 57, um, which is a great day. I was really happy with that and thought that was a very solid debut. But again, that was the first one. So, you know, every time you run a new race distance, that first one, you're just trying to get the monkey off your back. And then from there, you can kind of familiarize yourself with it and, and how you should feel at certain stages. So I knew that was a good day, but I also knew I was going to have a lot more to give and, and hopefully be a lot faster on paper than, than that day might have indicated. Take us back, I guess, to when you did reach out to uh, Tom Schwartz. Or, I mean, how did you end up becoming one of the Tin Men? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so when I graduated from Drake, I started looking at a lot of sort of the elite development groups around the U.S. So, you know, the Hansons, Brooks, the Zap Fitnesses or Zap Endurance now, um, Mammoth Track Club, Team USA, Minnesota, um, toured all those groups and was really fortunate to get offers from most of them. And, you know, I was really heavily weighing a lot of those options, but for whatever reason, none of them just felt quite right. Um, and along the way, I took a visit out to Boulder where I trained for a summer in college. Um, and got put in touch with Drew Hunter, who'd been working with Tom Schwartz, the Tin Man himself, um, for a few years at that point, and was able to run with Morgan Pearson when I was in town, and he's also a Tin Man trained guy, um, and just kind of picked Morgan's brain on on Tom's philosophy and the success he'd had under him. He'd had a breakout year, his first year out of college as well, so was fortunate to, to kind of get to know Tom's philosophy before I actually got on the phone with him. Um, and yeah, it really just sounded like you know, an upgraded version of what I'd been doing in college. It was none of these big, massive workouts that you're supposed to crush and then be over the moon confident going into your races. It was a lot of just like very solid days that added up to just a huge bank of fitness that you could pull from whenever you needed to. So that immediately enticed me. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of started talking to Drew and, and the two of us were eyeing Boulder as a great place to train and he was looking for a change of pace in his life, having been back in Virginia still. So the two of us decided to take a chance on Boulder and move out together. Um, and then not long after, Parsons reached out to us and was going to come back from Europe and try giving this running thing a shot, which has worked out well for him as well. And then along the way, we picked up Tyler. And then after a big year in 2017-18, we were lucky to kind of have made a name for ourselves and, and be looking to add some serious talent. And we got some of those guys and we're stoked about them. And yeah, now we're going into sophomore year and there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow and we're certainly not done and we're excited. The ball is rolling, if you will. Yeah. So that that's interesting to me that you toured some of these groups that have, you know, support, you know, they have some backing behind them from companies, but for you, the philosophy behind the training was that much more important. So in the episode that we did and the panel that we did with, with Tom, he could talk on and on and on and like really, it <laughs> yes, really wear you down with like, give you every little detail about his philosophy. How would you sum it up? And then why was that much, so much more important to you than, you know, being financially backed by, by a sponsor? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, we always talk about it and I think the easiest way to sum up Tom's philosophy is that, that quote that we always use almost to, beat it to death but it is keep the ball rolling um and that's something that he kind of coined when he was starting to think about the kind of coach he wanted to be he wanted to take guys who are maybe you know someone like me who is certainly coming out of a mid-major school i haven't had the resources or you know the the top tier coaching or the training partners or whatever it may be that's really maximized my potential um so he saw 
an opportunity to develop a guy like me into a top American and a globally competitive runner in the next few years. Um, and I think that was also what enticed me about it is I looked at a lot of my peers coming out of the NCAA that I've been competing with. And, you know, when we showed up as freshmen, those were guys who would have crushed me every single day in any race over any distance period. But over the four years that I was at Drake, I was never injured. I PR'd every season I was there. I was just consistent as all hell. Um, and that consistency allowed me to make up virtually all of that ground, save for a handful of guys in my NCAA class. Um, and so I looked at what worked for me and, and where I found success. And, and like I mentioned, it was in those days that turn into weeks, that turn into months, that turn into years of consistent, healthy, nothing flashy kind of training that that just gives you that massive aerobic base that when I go to run a longer distance event, like I just know I have that engine and I can compete with anybody else just because I have nine years of healthy running in my legs. What makes Tin Man Elite as a group different from, say, a bunch of college kids who go and spend a summer at Boulder and, you know, it's because it, I feel like that's the criticism you guys can face is that you guys are all doing this at the same time and jumping into training in Boulder. At the same, but you guys are doing it at a whole nother level. But what's different about the vibe that you guys have and I guess the seriousness that you take this training as opposed to college kids who show up for three weeks in Boulder and have the time of their lives? Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a very, you know, accurate problem that people have <laughs> with us, for sure. You know, they look at us and we're sort of a ragtag bunch of 22 to 24 year olds. One um, of my teammates wanted me to ask you that question. Okay. Yeah, no, that's a good <laughs> question. And you know, like to his credit, like Tom does not live in Boulder. We're very self-governed. Um, you know, I, we have a group me that we use to coordinate workouts. It's very sort of, yeah, like I said, self-governed, self, self-regulated. Um, who's the person yeah. who doesn't have iMessage and who's <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, Tyler's team green text. We've been trying to get him on the iPhone for, a year now and he's still holding out on the android uh, <laughs> all right back yeah. to your point <laughs> yeah yeah so i think the difference is i mean we just in our last year um parsons and i especially just looked at this as a huge opportunity and we're both guys who love to create and love to push each other um so you know wh whether it's the instagram or a training day we approach that with the same sort of competitiveness and the same sort of fire and we want to compete with the best groups in the u.s and we see an opportunity to do that um and so for us yeah like sure we look like a bunch of ragtag college guys who come together and, and win club cross-country championships in years where there's much more important priority races <laughs> um but to us, that's our identity, you know, and that's, I think, what separates us from, you know, a group with a title sponsor and a bunch of financial backing and veterans and a coach with boots on the ground is that this is something we've built from the ground up. And because of that, we hold each other accountable every single day. And that accountability then in turn leads to the success. So like for myself, I had a very much an off day at the club cross country championships this year. I think I was 11th last year and finished like 40th this year and just was out of the race from a gun. Um, and to me, like that was incredibly frustrating and I felt like I'd let my team down. Um, and I feel like that's not the same for a lot of professional groups. Everyone's very much chasing individual goals and, and they have their pursuits that they think serve themselves the best. And that's definitely true to an extent with us. But at the same time, it's that camaraderie that we've built. 
And I think that camaraderie stems from the fact that we're very grassroots and we're very, there's a lot of agency from all of us in this group. So every time I toe the line, whether it's at club cross country or at Houston or on the track, I know that I'm racing for eight other guys that have my back in Boulder, no matter what, and that people are going to be looking at that result, you know, whether it's the let's run critics or the let's run fans. And they're going to say like, Oh, did Reed get it done or did he not? And that reflects on every single member of our team. And so that holds, again, holds us accountable and, and just drives us forward and drives us to success. What's the immediate future hold, do you think, and your vision for what you want to see from Tin Man Elite? Because at the same time, you guys are growing really fast. You have added several new names for 20, late 2018, early 2019. Um, and I guess like it brings me back to the Pat Casey tweet that he had like last week <laughs> where he was just like, you know, you get a bunch of high school kids DMing you, you know, how do I get faster? And they're looking for tips. And I'm sure you guys are also getting like, a bunch of messages from kids who want to continue running after college. And, you know, is there something that you're looking for when it comes to like this person could fit to be a, you know, a member of the, of the team? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, all the guys that we've added, I think if you look at them, they're not, you know, the number one runner coming out of the NCAA. And part of that is our lack of funding, but part of that is also very intentional. Like we do not want a runner who is, solely in Boulder to train with Drew Hunter or Sam Parsons or Reed Fisher or whoever it may be. We want a guy who is excited about what we're doing and wants to contribute to that both on the field of competition and in our team meetings and everything across the board that we're doing. Um, so for us, we're looking predominantly for cultural fits, but it's also, we want guys who can make teams like that is very much our goal. Um, Sam and I talk about this all the time and, at the time being, we fully acknowledge that it sounds like a pipe dream to everyone but the two of us. But it's like, we want to be competitive with a team like Bowerman. And we want to do that by doing things our own way. Like, we don't want to imitate. We want to do things very authentically. Um, and we want to do that by having guys who are so invested in our team and in Tom's training that they find it easy to be successful. And that drives them to a higher level, whether that's making their first U S final, which is, you know, we've got some guys in that category this year. Um, or if it's, you know, making their first world championship team, which is very much on a few of our guys horizons as well. Um, heading into 2019 and then into the Olympic year, we want guys who are looking to make teams. And so far, I think we've got a handful of, of dudes on our roster who've shown that potential. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that we're considering we have grown quickly and we're very aware of that and we're very excited by it but we're also looking to be super particular and we, we add going forward now that we've kind of fleshed out our roster a bit more yeah so take peel back the curtain a little bit and what does that <laughs> sure. look like when it comes to the recruiting process so so i guess you guys have added joey how do you pronounce his last name i've been talking to him for a while but i don't know how to pronounce it <laughs> yeah we call him joey bags because it's way easier uh, yeah <laughs> it's pronounced Tua. yeah so you've added joey to the squad what was the process like for someone to like him to join was it just like and like behind the scenes is it you know you drew and sam sitting down on a couch and be like you know what i think this guy will be a good fit or i i don't think so how like what is the process yeah, um, very much as you just described. It's, it's a lot of just conversations between the people on the team. Um, and Print, printed out pictures on a, on a, on a, yeah, on a table. Yeah, we, we throw darts at them. 
<laughs> no, but I mean, Joey's a guy who is technically not on the official 10 man elite roster. He works with Tom and is in Boulder. Um, Henry Dwyer is the exact same way. He came out of Georgia and was very underdeveloped. So these are guys who Tom has a lot of faith in and we initially were very hesitant on and they're still not, you know, on the 10 man elite website. Like there's some distinction between sort of this like developmental side of things and then the guys who are a bit already more there. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Um, and, you know, like that's exactly the same situation that, that Sam, Tyler and I were all in last year. Like there was no formalized 10 man elite. It was just three dudes who, you know, called ourselves that. And it was such So Joey is in the exact same position that we found ourselves in a year ago. And that's exciting because we're watching a guy like him, like really feed off of that and go to a meet like the UW indoor preview, which is, you know, not by any means the pinnacle of track and field in 2019, but he looks at that as a huge opportunity and he goes and he runs a 22nd PR and qualifies for the U S indoor championships, which for him is a massive leap forward. Yeah. So do you, how much do you respect a move like that to put your, you know, I guess post-collegiate life aside for a bit and just pursue running. And and did you ever envision yourself giving this as serious of a of a try? That I mean, so soon after college. Yeah, um, I mean, I respect the hell out of it. Like it's it's something that I was petrified to do when I was in his shoes. Um, and I think, you know, I'm not going to tell everyone like, oh, move out to Boulder and, and train <laughs> with us because obviously that's not feasible and that's not something we're looking for. Um, but I do think to some extent in life, you have to bet on yourself. Um, and that's what, you know, I did a year ago and that's what Joey's doing now. And, and I think that's sort of the way that professional running in, in the U S is going. It's like, if you're not joining a group and you're not getting a contract signed out of the NCAA and you want to keep pursuing it, you have to take risks and you have to gamble a little bit with your financial stability or some of your relationships, whatever the case may be, like you got to prioritize what's important to you. Um, and for me, you know, 18 months ago, running and, and finding happiness and, and training with a coach and with guys that I had faith could bring me to a higher level, that was priority number one. So sure, it might have been, quote unquote, safer to join one of those groups. Um, but to me, it, it, it was a necessary and calculated risk to do something like that. I apologize in advance for the random listener who's going to listen to this and then show up in Boulder and be like, hey, you know what? <laughs> Felt like there was an open invite to, to go, come run with you yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Certainly not an open invite to, to move to Boulder and start training with us. But if you're in town, hit us up. We love running with people who are in town. Uh, <laughs> we'll definitely make some time for you. Uh, all right, let's talk about Houston for a bit. Sure. That morning, you wake up. I mean, was the goal – you know, I was surprised because I think overlooking the uh, start list, you might have been a little overlooked. There was a lot of attention on, you know, someone like Parker or Noah Drotti. And then you go out there and you end up being the top American there with, it might've just been that the indie half that you ran was so low key. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, there aren't a lot of like high key fall half marathons unless you're going overseas, which as a dude who works full time and, and doesn't have support from a sponsor, that's not really something that's feasible. Um, what is yeah. your full-time job? Because I'm looking right behind you. There's a map of Colorado. <laughs> Yep. Um, so currently I'm the marketing and communications manager at a nonprofit called the Colorado Mountain Club. 
So it's a company I interned with when I was training here for the summer and a full-time spot opened up when I graduated and I jumped at that opportunity. So essentially we are a 501c3 and we're, we're super excited about getting people into the Rockies and, and teaching them how to do it safely and responsibly. So how's that help with running? Like, are you, does it help? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a firm believer in balance. Um, so to me, this is another outlet for me to find you know, motivation and, and find fulfillment. Um, so I've talked about this a lot, but I think, you know, if in the future I sign a full on professional running contract, I think I still will look for work. I don't know if it'll be full time at a desk, um, but whether that's, you know, focusing more on developing Tin Man Elite and focusing on areas that we can be doing better there, or if it's looking for something more part time that still allows me to, to further my marketing career or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I think I'd go a little crazy if I was just doing what, you know, a lot of professional runners do and, and just train for four hours a day, recover for eight hours a day and then sleep for 12 hours a day. That's never been my MO for sure. Um, all right. So going back to Houston, you said you can't get out to, yep. to, to the Europe. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, Indy was definitely a very, you know, low key half marathon. Like I showed up and there were three guys who were trying to run realistically sub 64. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not an IAAF gold label race. That's for <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah. And I mean, I think I was ranked 22nd on the descending order list going into Houston and was maybe the eighth American. Um, but I also knew where a lot of those guys training was at and where their heads were at. And a lot of them are, you know, gearing up for Boston in the spring and, for them, this is a stepping stone in that direction. Um, and a lot of them are, are older guys who maybe aren't as fired up to go run a half marathon when it's 32 degrees outside and you've ran 15 of them already. Um, <laughs> and so this was something that, that I very much had in my head was like, this is a stacked American field. It's a stacked international field, but I think I can beat a lot of those guys. Um, so for me, like the whole week leading up into Houston, I mean, I was having, I was having race dreams, which never happens. I was like waking up three times a night, all fired up, like ready to race that day. Like in that moment, I didn't care if it was 3.30 AM on Tuesday or whatever the case may be. Like this race, it just felt like things were, were clicking and culminating at the right time. My training was going really well. Uh, Those race dreams, like what are the scenarios that played out in them? Like how many times <laughs> were you winning in them? How many times? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So there was one that was super specific that I still remember and it's hilariously specific yet arbitrary because I was sixth overall. Okay. To, you know, it wasn't like I won the damn thing. I was sixth overall. So I'm realistic in my dreams, you know, like even my subconscious is like, yeah, dude, but you're not going to beat Katata. Uh, <laughs> so I was sixth overall. I was the top American and I ran like 61, 15 or something like that. So I ticked one of the three boxes, which is, not bad for a, for a dream. We'll take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I, I talked a lot to Parker and Noah, um, in the weeks leading up to the race. And, you know, those guys are two of Boulder's finest and they're great mentors for me as I start moving towards the marathon and just getting familiar with the longer road stuff. And I mean, I think they both went in there thinking, yeah, I'm going to try and break 62 and be the top American, which is the exact same goal I had. So the three of us, very much communicated and, and sort of worked together to, to formulate a plan that would serve all of our best interests and 
you know, those guys were stride for stride with me for most of that race. And I just ended up being the one who had it on that day. And I don't regret that one bit. Because the television coverage didn't have like a motorcycle next to you guys. When was the move made? What did we miss uh, on TV? Yeah. um, So Parker was giving me some, some flack about (laughs) this after the fact. Um, Parker's a surgy runner. That's how he breaks people. He'll just throw in weird random surges at random distances for random intervals until you just get fed up with him and you don't cover one of them and then he's gone. Um, I'm very much a squeezer. Like I just (laughs) ratchet the pace down little by little and just make you hurt until you're just like, God, I can't hurt anymore. Go then. Um, And so that was very much my game plan going into it. Like I knew if I was going to be the top American, it wasn't going to be some massive break that just put everyone away it was going to be just a steady increase in effort and in in pace that would break those guys um so yeah what you didn't see on tv is miles eight through 11 were straight into the headwind in houston which was about 10 to 15 miles an hour so it was definitely noticeable um and eight through 10 are gradual uphill um so we hit mile eight and i'd been at the front of that pack for a handful of miles me and parker had been um and so I knew that I was kind of in the driver's seat and I knew that if we wanted to run sub 62, it was going to be miles eight through 11 that decided that. So when we hit eight, I threw in a pretty decent surge and I think I split like a four forty for that mile. Um, and just got some separation pretty much right away. People could check it out on Strava, right? <laughs> yeah. You can go check it out on Strava. Uh, but yeah, I got some separation right away and I figured if I was separating from a pack into a headwind up a hill that probably meant I was feeling a good bit better than they were if they weren't covering it with a group versus just me um and so I I took that to heart and was like all right like if I'm feeling better than them and I'm getting some separation like I just have to go so that was what I did like I just put my head down and, and went for it and there was a handful of guys up the road that were falling off the early lead pack um so like edwin kabich he was a guy that i ran the indie monumental with early in the fall and i saw him up the road and i was like okay like just get to edwin and you can latch onto him and he can latch onto you like we've ran stride for stride for 13 miles before hopefully he gives you some new energy and and likewise um so i bridged that gap and at that point i think the pack of americans that ended up finishing behind me all but parker had already let me go um but Parker doesn't quit easily. Um, and so I could hear him coming the whole way. Um, and I, he was, he told me after he was getting mad that people were cheering for him because every time someone cheered for him, I was like, Oh shit. Like he's 10 seconds behind me now. Or like, Oh no, he's, he's only eight seconds behind me now. Um, but fortunately the last two is sheltered from the wind by the city and it's just a straight shot. So once I got to 11 and I still had some daylight between me and Parker, like, at that point, I knew I just had to hang on and, and get after it. Um, and yeah, super fortunate that I did. And Parker ran a tough race, but I was the guy who had it that day. And, you know, that's that's the way it goes. I'm sure someday Parker will have it on me. So, What was Tom Schwartz's assess- assessment of the race and the result? Yeah. Um, very good, Reed, I think was the text <laughs> he sent me after. Proud of you um tom is a man of many words and a man of few words when you ask him a question about training he'll go for paragraphs and paragraphs over text and then when you crush a workout or crush a race he'll just be like great i knew you were fit told you you could do it 
Wasn't he the one who like uh, gave like a really specific time to Drew, and, like based off like what he could run, and then Drew ended up running something really, really close in the fifteen hundred. Yeah, he's done that for all of us. He is. So what did again. he say before this? So he told me that he he also predicted Indy. He told me he thought on a great day I could run sub sixty three, and I ran sixty two fifty seven. He told me on. Um, it was two Saturdays before the race after I did a hard workout that if I'd ran a half marathon at sea level on that day, I would have ran 62.14. And if I gave myself two weeks to recover and the weather was ideal and in Houston, I could run 61.52, I think was the number he gave. <laughs> so, so, the weather was, so the weather wasn't ideal. Um, and I ran 62.06, which is like, very much within the margin for error on that. So I, that's just something he's always had a knack for. And at first I was like, dude, how the hell are you getting this number? Like, I don't believe that. But I mean, he predicted Brogan's marathon. He predicted Drew's 1500. He's predicted both my halves. He's predicted my 10 Ks. Like at this point, when he tells me a number, I just believe it. Yeah. And I think part of that is self-fulfilling. It's like, you know, if you have a coach who's telling you, you can go break 62, like all of a sudden that's in your mind, whether it was there before or not. So yeah, it's definitely something that gives us confidence. And when Tom gives you a hard number, you don't, you don't bat an eye when you go out and run it a week later. We'll get to Brogan in a bit because he submitted a lot of questions. On yeah, Instagram. he sure did. <laughs> um, but I guess the question a lot of people are probably waiting for now, and mm -hmm. it's presumed after someone runs a really fast half marathon, the <laughs> marathon, how much have you thought about it now? And what is the plan between now and Atlanta? Yeah, um, Tom and I have discussed it. There's a lot that's going to happen in the next couple months that will kind of shape where things go. Um, but we're in very preliminary talks of doing a fall full. Um, whether that's Chicago or New York or something overseas, we haven't thought that far ahead. But I think logically, if I'm trying to make a team in the marathon come next winter or spring, whatever you want to call February, um, that I need to have one under my belt before I show up on that line in Atlanta, just because that course looks like it's going to be an absolute grinder of a course. And if that's your first marathon, it's going to chew you up and spit you out. Um, so for me, if that's something I want to target, it definitely needs to be a full before then. And it definitely needs to come next fall. So I have enough time to get recovered and then gear back up for Atlanta. Um, so we totally yeah. rule out last minute entry into Boston. <laughs> yes, I will not be on the line <laughs> on Patriots Day. That much I can guarantee you. Um, well, how do you feel about, I guess, like this was a comparison that was made in this in the Slack channel that we've got for mm -hmm. CBS. And I wrote about it, I guess, like in this column that we do on Mondays. Yep. The, yeah, I saw it. the comp between you and someone like Scott Fobble. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, I put it out there. I put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> I, Fobbs is a great dude. Um, he was actually in Houston, and he was at mile 12 screaming his head off for me, trying to get me home. Um, and that's something, like, I look at a dude like Fobbs, and he's a guy, in my opinion, who's done very much done it right. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to your guys' credit, like, that's, I think, a very accurate comparison. Like, Fobbs finished fourth in a USA 10K final. I've done exactly that. Um, I think Bob's half marathon PR is like 62.14. I'm a 62.06 guy. Um, so if you look at us like, yeah, on, 
on paper were, were both guys who came out of a sort of mid-major Division One program with a lot of upside, but decent credentials to our name and just decided that we were going to outwork a lot of people. And the results have sort of shown that the proof's in the pudding there. Um, and if I can be a, a 212 low guy like Bob's, that would be awesome. If I can be a even faster guy sometime in the near future, that'd be great too. Um, but yeah, Scott's, Scott's a, a great dude and he's, he's given me a good amount of advice in the last few months. Um, and I appreciate that. And yeah, definitely a runner who is not a bad guy to be compared to as a, as a person and as an athlete. So I'll take it. So as of right now, when we're looking at the 2020 trials for the marathon, and I guess like, yeah, floating around 212 sounds nice, but the emphasis should really be, I guess, on the fall on handling the actual marathon distance. Like your PR won't really matter when it gets to Atlanta. Yep. Yeah, very true. Yeah. And I think, I mean, if you look at where things are at in the U.S. with the marathon right now, there's a, a huge opportunity. Like Galen is certainly not a lock anymore. He's had a rough last 12 months and who knows where it'll be 12 months from now. Um there's a lot of, you know, those seasoned guys like Dathan or, or Shadrach B. Watt, who've historically been very good. But again, like, there's no guarantees when you show up on the starting line of a marathon. I've never ran one, so I can't really tell you that from experience. But everyone I've talked to and all the results I've seen show that anybody can show up on that starting line within reason and make that team on their day. Um, so, yeah, I think for me, to your credit, like, it's very much going to be running smart and making sure that I'm getting the most out of myself and that I don't just go for broke, trying to run some stupid fast time and end up crashing and burning. And then the marathon scares the shit out of me. So when I show up on the line in Atlanta, I'm all terrified of, of the distance. Um, it very much just be, like I said, with the app, it's, it's getting that monkey off your back so that the next time you go into it, you feel like you're ready to tackle that distance. I've, uh between now and Atlanta, will you probably race Brogan or, or, is, or are we going to like keep that under wraps until Atlanta? We'll see. Um, no, I don't think either of us have thought that far ahead yet. <laughs> um, his schedule is very much fluid after he won a national title. It's crazy how that happens. All of a sudden people want you at their races. Uh, he's not, he's not uh, returning your text anymore. <laughs> no, yeah. He doesn't hit me up at all anymore. No, no. <laughs> we were talking last night. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would love to. Brogan's been one of my, my greatest friends and rivals since I showed up at Drake. Um, What's the all time record between the two of you? Oh, he's definitely got me beat. Brogan's oh, really? a gamer. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got every PR is probably faster than him, but his overall record is definitely up on me. Um, but he also had, you know, three years where I was a pipsqueak, underdeveloped, 110-pound, 1455 5K runner, and he was running 1355. So he's certainly got me beat. Um, playing field has certainly become more level. But, yeah, I think it looks like, there'll be a few opportunities for us to to line up next to each other in the next few months here. Um, and that'd be awesome. Cause yeah, I mean, it's like he'll set the bar high and then I'll go reset it and then he'll go set it again. And we just kind of trade blows and it's great to have someone like that who pushes you day in and day out. Yeah. So we posted one of those photos of uh, you as a pipsqueak on the city of Smack <laughs> yes, Instagram indeed. and it got a lot of uh, listener questions. So I'm glad it caught people's attention. So we'll dive right into them. Uh, cool, let's do it. All right, Tin Man Elite. Describe everyone on Tin Man Elite in one or two words. Oh, I saw that one. All right, we'll go Sam. 
Uh, Sam. Let's do first word that comes to mind. <laughs> it could be right, dangerous. Sam, Sam's Sam's a lover. Uh, Drew. Goofball. Um, I guess who 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 am I missing here? Tyler. Nerd. Morgan. Fiery. Uh, Kyle. Hmm. Patient. Jeff. Haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. Uh, who am I missing here? Jordan. Uh, Jordan. Hmm. I go a few ways with Jordan. Creative. Uh, Connor. Mm -hmm. Old man winter. That's three <laughs> words. No, uh, Connor, I would say perseverant. Henry. Mystery. <laughs> He's an enigma. He's a definite enigma. His nickname is mystery man. <laughs> I think I, uh, is that everyone? Uh, did you get Joey? Oh yeah, Joey. Mm. Dog. <laughs> All right, let's see who we got there. Uh, Drew, I mean, you guys flooded this uh, Instagram. Cereal of the week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm notorious around the house for I go to Safeway every every week, which is the grocery store here in town. And I'll walk down the cereal aisle and whichever one's on sale, even if it's like a delicious cereal or something that sounds awful i'll just grab it and be like all right this is my cereal for the week so right now i haven't tried it yet so i can't review it but it is chocolate toast crunch what why hasn't this been a thing i think this is gonna be your new thing just go on and uh, post an instagram video of you know, reviewing sam's, the cereal <laughs> sam's been pushing this for the last few weeks now so we'll <laughs> see if it comes to fruition here um let's see who else we got here Someone asked, uh, what is the critical velocity for Pop-Tart consumption? Uh, yeah, I saw that one and almost replied to it, but then I figured you'd probably ask it. So the answer is the limit does not exist. There is no <laughs> CV pace for that. You just eat as many as you possibly can. Sam asks, if you were stranded on a deserted island with one book, one movie, one person, and one food item, what do you go with? Uh, book would be 1984 by Orwell. That's movie, yeah? Yeah uh into the wild probably okay so i guess one i could watch over and over again uh person hmm that one's tough i'd probably say my mom okay yeah i'm a mama's boy don't call me ben flanagan but i'm a mama's <laughs> boy uh <laughs> that's not, that looks like that that either could be a rap lyric or that could be a instagram bio <laughs> mm, maybe it'll be both maybe i'll start <laughs> a rap career and then also make it my instagram bio <laughs> Uh, and the last one is food item. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that'd be my breakfast sandwiches. The guys also asked a question about that. So I eat the same thing every day for breakfast. It's a pretzel bun with a slice of sharp cheddar cheese. Okay. And then two fried eggs over medium and a glass of water. And then if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling flush in the wallet department, I'll usually go for some raspberries on the side. But wow. <laughs> you know, if, if, if the prize money is low or I haven't gotten my paycheck from work yet, usually I'll just skip that and just go straight to work on, on, on that. So what's the timing on the cereal then? When do you, is it? Oh, that's true. I forgot the cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> uh, 
that's usually like my my breakfast dessert you know okay yeah so like i'll, I'll eat the entree and then it's like oh kind of something sweet sounds pretty good i'll go for my cereal now <laughs> Uh, Sam also asked, who will sit upon the throne at the end of season three? So are you only on season three of Game of no, Thrones? No, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. I think he just <laughs> had a typo because, yeah, Sam and I are a huge Game of Thrones fan. I've watched the series start to front probably – or start to finish probably three or four times. Um, All right, give us a prediction. looked on it last year. Man, I don't know. I got multiple predictions. Um, the easy answer is the Night King because he looks – unbeatable right now you know he's just got that whole army um the one that's hitting you over the head is Jon snow just because he's Jon snow yeah my dark horse prediction would probably be oof probably be i think stannis gets resurrected out of nowhere somehow and then he just ends up taking it. No, that's a that's a bad dark horse. <laughs> <laughs> dark horse would be that Cersei just keeps it. All right, she's she's too evil to not die. Uh, who's the best basketball player on Tin Man Elite? Question from Kyle. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I've got the range. I would say I'm our strongest three point guy. Um, Drew's Drew's a he's dangerous in the post. If you give him an opportunity, he'll body you up for sure. And then I would say Patrick or Sam would be a good all-rounder. And Morgan just plays with a lot of passion, so you can never count him out. So really, we're all great. Like, if you, want, <laughs> if you want a team to come out and play some five-on-five, we're your guys. Yeah, but I, I think that was a question that was once asked. Like, uh, what training group would probably have the best five-on-five team? Is And it, it came down to, like, I think someone said OTC because they have Hassan. Yeah, OTC would be good. I mean, they've got Pesquedra, who would be just an absolute (laughs) menace down low. And then you've got Hassan, who's a freak athlete. I think Blankenship would be their hustle guy. And then you've got, like, you know, Haroon, who's who's probably a good three. And then you just go from there and build it out. So they're definitely – they're threatening. (laughs) Uh, Someone asked, why did you write – 365 on your hand in this photo yeah i saw a few people ask that um so in minnesota when you're like a junior high runner and and nobody cares about you they don't even give you a bib for a race they just give you a sharpie and say write your number on your hand and then when you come through the finishing shoot we're just gonna like grab your hand and write it down so that was my number in the race i was 365 but i also liked aaron nelson's comment about how I'm just a grinder who works, you know, 365 days a year, 24 seven. You can find me out there working, you know? So I'd like to say that's what it was for, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just when you're a, a JV guy, you don't get much love and you're not worth a, a piece of paper until you prove yourself. So you should just start writing where you fall on the descending order list by PR. So like going into Houston, you should have had 22. And 20, then... Well, that's the, my, that is like how they do it. So like you get your bib with like your name on it. But then you also have like a number assigned to you, and my number was twenty-two. So it yeah. kind of is, kind of isn't, kind of deal. Yeah. Did you beat three six five in that in that uh, in that race? Um, I'm sure I did. <laughs> I mean, you can see that massive dude in the frame behind me, and it's like if I'm beating the guy who's that much bigger than me, you got to believe I'm I'm not finishing three hundred and sixty fifth. Uh, someone asked Emma Watson or Emma Stone. It's a good question. I saw that one too. Um. 
I would have said Emma Watson, but now I'm more of an Emma Stone guy. What what made like you Emma change? <laughs> I don't know, man. I feel like Emma, Emma Watson was just very much like my childhood sweetheart because of the Harry Potter movies. And now you're grown up. <laughs> but yeah, like I I love um, Maniac, the latest Netflix series that has her in it. I think it was she's good. Great in that. So yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe I'm more of an Emma Stone guy now, but who knows? Uh, Delaney Moore fourteen asks, "Can you match Drew's mustache? You had a mustache for a bit." I did. He's got me beat, though. Um, at some point between, <laughs> so we have this thing that we've been talking about with Drew, how he just like we'll look at an old picture of him from like eighteen months ago when he got to Boulder, and he just looks like an entirely different human being. Like you could show me a side by side, and I'm like, yeah, it's a different guy. Um, so we now have Drew's clean cut name is Seth. <laughs> Yep, and then Drew currently is Drew. <laughs> so if Drew ever gets his hair cut and shaves, he's gonna be. We're just gonna call him Seth relentlessly. Well, yeah, he's, what's the behind the scenes there? Behind. How did how did this whole thing come about? The whole look change. Um. So it started. Parsons bet him that it was probably in like March or April of last year. Drew was like, "Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna get my hair cut for like a long time. I'm gonna grow it out." And Sam was like, "Yeah." A lot of people say that. Nobody actually does it. I bet you get a haircut before next Christmas. And Drew's like, all right, how much do you want to bet? And Parsons said 500 bucks. And so then it just became a point of contention between the two of them. And Drew's a, a stubborn old dude. So he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not going to get it cut at this point. So 500 bucks so, till what, which Christmas? The one that just passed or the next? Yeah, one? the one that, the one that okay. just passed. And I think at one point, Sam was like, dude, I'll pay you 500 bucks to get a haircut. Your hair looks that bad. <laughs> and Drew is just like, nope. Nope, I'm holding out. Um, but I think he looks pretty good with it. I mean, he's definitely got the Prefontaine vibes going for him now, which is a far cry from where he looked when he graduated high school, but it's a good look on him, I think. And yeah, his the, mustache is, is crushing mine. I don't have one right now, but mine is bad when I do have it. In those early stages of the mustache growing, was anyone giving him tips as to like what to do? Because I'm sure like for someone so young, he was like, I don't know exactly how to manage this. <laughs> um, so I think I think he did what the usual distance runner approach is when you're not sure if you grow out a good mustache or not. You just like let everything grow out so it doesn't <laughs> look like you're trying to grow a creepy mustache. Um, so he had the scruff for a little bit when we were in like winter base training and he was kind of not on the scene much. And then he had it long enough to the point where he, when he like showed up to races, it was like, oh, yep, like that's a mustache. <laughs> so I, I think he went about it the right way. That's the way I always went about it. I would time it with like no shave November or like a time where I wasn't going to have to see anybody that I like really cared how I appeared to them and then would <laughs> shave it into a mustache. And then, and then you really have to not see anybody you care about seeing you with a mustache. That brings you just accept your fate as the mustache guy. And that's kind of the life cycle. That brings me right into the next question that uh, this Andrew George asked was like, who in the Tin Man group has the best game when it comes to women? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm the only one with a girlfriend right now. So, so it's if you. <laughs> you want to go that route, it's me. Um, but I'm certainly not a player. Um, I mean, if you look at Sam's ygg comments floating around on instagram i would say it's him um yeah i don't know all right I, there's, well, there's no one who like stands out but there's no one who's like man that guy's got no game either i would say <laughs> i'm probably the one with the worst game but you know it worked out okay for me i'm, I'm pretty content andrew asks, how do we strengthen the ncaa south region 
Oh man. Um I mean Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm not an NCAA coach. I'm not recruiting guys. I would say you focus on what your strengths are, right? Like right now, I mean if you want to look at cross country regionals, then it's like, okay, yeah, like you're probably not gonna get much more competitive than you are just because all the scholarship money in the Southeast is going straight into sprints and, and hurdles and field events, just because that's where their success is. Um, but no, I don't know. I mean, I think any school should play to their strengths when it comes to recruiting. And it's like Midwestern schools and, and places like university of Colorado, I think thrive with distance guys because I think distance guys inherently have a much more masochistic perspective on life like they embrace that sort of suffering and it's like oh you mean to tell me i get to train when it's 10 degrees outside and there's six <laughs> inches of snow on the ground hell yeah i'm in whereas you tell a sprinter who's lived their whole life in california that they're like hell no i'm gonna go to florida or i'm gonna stay in <laughs> california um and just like the environment like it's hard to sprint when it's cold out so i don't know how you strengthen the region you get you get some good coaching in there who are who are fired up about making changes and prioritize distance and then all of a sudden that raises the bar for a few programs and everyone else has got to compete. That'd be, that'd be my best guess. All right. We're going to run through Bergen's questions now. Real quick. <laughs> All right, let's do them. At what age will you weigh 200 pounds? Never. What do you weigh at now? Uh, I'm like 130. But like, I mean, if you look at my dad, he's built exactly like me and he's 60. So I don't think I'm ever going to be like a, a big dude by any stretch of the imagination. Spirit animal. What is it? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I've never really been huge on like spirit animals, but if I had to say, I'd be like a wolf. Okay. But not like, not like a lone wolf, like a, like a pack wolf. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you beat me in everything, does it bring a sense of pride or am I just another piece of dust in the wind to you? Uh, it's a bit of both. I mean, it definitely feels good to, to crush your half marathon PRs and, and just be like generally a better runner than you, Brogan. Um, but you are also just like inconsequential in, in my thought process as well. If you were the best American at <laughs> something else, what would it be? Oh, I saw that one. That's a good question. Um, I think I would be the best American at. reviewing cereal there you go <laughs> uh, no, i don't know i mean i i'm definitely i think i found my niche i don't think i'll be the best american in many other things in my life so i gotta ride this one out while it lasts how do you sit down with balls that big you don't have to answer that one uh, no i will actually I, I, he texted me that um and i told him i i recently got a standing desk in my <laughs> office um so i think that's been giving me a lot of like it's given me some room to grow um and, you know, that was right ahead of Houston. So maybe that's sort of like a correlation, maybe not causation, but there's something there. So the answer is I, I don't sit down anymore. I just I just stand all the time. I'm glad I actually asked it instead of just skipping <laughs> over it. Because <laughs> that'll be the soundbite that we clip for the whole podcast. Oh, like, hey, you got to listen to this episode. <laughs> you guys are always doing me dirty. You got the, the baby pic of me up on Instagram, the, the USA American one up on the article and then that'll be my sound bite that's good yeah. what's the <laughs> happiest moment in your life 
Yeah, I saw that one too. That's actually a, a serious one from Brogan. Um, I would have to say it was when I won running moment in my life. The happiest I've been was when I won my first Drake Relays 5K title. That was like my senior year at Drake. I just missed the title and our school record the year before. And then I went back and, and got the title, set our school record, and it was my senior year last track season there. So and just had like family in town and a lot of teammates supporting me. So it was a very special moment for sure. Um, I don't know. I'd have to think on non-running moment, but cool. maybe we'll do that in the next Sidious podcast I do with you guys. Yeah, number three. All right, final four questions I ask every guest. We kind of touched on this maybe last summer, but maybe there's been some developments ever since. Uh, yeah. First off, uh, funniest drug testing story. So I still have not been drug tested. Um, it's wild. The only drug test I've ever done was at Drake, and it was like a mandatory one that everyone had to do. Um, and it just wasn't like a very, there was no funny story. It was just your pretty cut and dry whole team drug test. Um, but yeah, like I, I haven't been tested yet. Um, and I don't know if it's just cause everyone assumes that I'm just so clean. They don't even need to bother or, or what the case is, but yeah, like I thought for sure I was going to get tested after Houston, but they were just like, all right, we'll see ya. And I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> That's nice. Um, yeah. So I don't really have one. All right. Um, meanest thing you've read about yourself on let'srun.com because last time it was two days removed there was a whole thread <laughs> about you yeah. and the comments were just getting ridiculous about I don't know you seeing someone's sister or whatever it was I don't know it, got, yeah, it was yeah, weird yeah. <laughs> yeah it definitely spiraled um, so I think there's a thread I haven't checked it much recently but there was one that popped up right after houston that was like tin man has done it again reed <laughs> fisher top american in houston um and someone like sent me the link to it so i was like oh okay like here we go just expecting it to be bad um and it was a mixed bag like some people were like oh that's sweet and others were just like i don't understand what's impressive about a 62 minute guy like that's still irrelevant on the global scene um and someone was like there was someone who was like oh yeah like a 1345 guy should definitely be able to run 62 flat. Um, so maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe that's the meanest thing now. But I think just the, like, whenever you're like an up and coming guy, like everyone just writes you off as the the virtual unknown label. So. Well, I we're also catching, we're also catching flack for the 64 that Jim Walmsley ran. And all of a sudden, like now yeah. there's people out with pitchforks about making a big deal about that. Where do you stand yeah, on that? Yeah. I think it's sweet, man. Um, I mean, I talked to Jim before and after the race, and I think he's a great dude. Um, I think if you're not an elite runner who has the mindset of, like, I'm going to beat as many dudes as I can, then Jim Walmsley probably comes off as a little, you know, brash or arrogant or whatever you want to coin it as. But in my eyes, that dude's just, like, a, as pure a competitor as you can be. Um, and I think the fact that he just went out and beat – a good amount of dudes who like train hard to run on the roads is, is pretty telling on his talent. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what his plans are going forward, but I think it's impressive that he was able to come out of the grand Canyon running 30 miles in a single run and, and hop on the roads and run 451 pace for 13.1 miles. I think that's impressive no matter who you ask. And I, I get why people are annoyed by it or frustrated or pissed off or however you want to view it. But in my eyes, it's like that dude's just competing as 
well as he can and and that's all he knows so if he sees an opportunity to to get paid to show up at Houston and run a fast time that's going to get people talking about him like that's his job as a professional athlete so I don't think you can fault him for that yeah cat is out of the bag he literally just posted this instant that he's going to be on this podcast and we're going to record with him tonight so um, nice nice, that'll be interesting um all right yeah and then the final two that I've got um What's the next one? It's, uh, yeah, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a conversational pace, who would it be with and where would this run take place? My laptop is at 5%, so let's get, we'll, we'll get these in. <laughs> All right, my phone's at 10%, so we're, we're crushing right now. Um, I would run with, I think last time I said Kanye. Um, I don't know if that's changed. I still would <laughs> love to run with Kanye. Um but maybe I'll do like a more serious one this go around instead of like a funny haha Kanye one. Um, so I would probably run. I think it'd be fun to run with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I mean, we just celebrated him a couple of days ago. Um, so he's on the top of the mind. But I just I mean, I think he's one of the most like transformative people who've ever walked this earth, especially in like American history. Um, I think just his perspective on on life in general, if not like you know, the, the social aspects of, of what he believed in would just be super interesting to pick his brain on. And I think he'd be someone who you could learn a lot from. Um, I don't know where I'd run with him on maybe, I don't know, maybe across the Selma bridge. That seems fitting. It works. Yeah. Um, otherwise somewhere just like that would be sweet to run like somewhere in Boulder or, or Mammoth or somewhere overseas. Cool. And then last one, 25 shots from half court, $25 million on the line. Make one, win $25 million. Don't make any, go to jail for 25 years. You said you'd take the shots? I think I said I'd take the shots. Um, I think I might flip. I think I might not take the shots anymore. Why? I don't know. I just, I, I knew you were going to ask this because you asked me it before and I was like thinking about it today. I was like, damn, like that is still such a good question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think like, $25 million is life-changing in a positive way, but like 25 years in jail is life-changing in a very negative way. And like, I'm very content with where my life's at right now. So yeah, like, you I just want to have marriage. Yeah, like I'd, I'd rather not change risk changing my life in a negative way than like change my already pretty rad life in a better way. So yeah, maybe, maybe I'm copping out now and I'm not taking the shots. Perfect. All right, Reed. Well, we'll catch you. We'll have you on a third time, I'm sure, at some point. But this has been yep. a pleasure and a lot of fun. Cool, man. Appreciate you. Looking forward to number three already. Many thanks to Reed for taking the time to do that interview. Before our next interview show, we have a bonus podcast episode that we are dropping. Sidious Mag staff writer Kevin Liao and I will be doing a monthly show where we run through the best performances and most interesting storylines from January. We're highlighting the best of the sport in one quick episode. And we're actually going to be doing that monthly. But the next guest on the show will be Jared Ward, hopefully. Just had another baby, so congratulations to him and his family. We're taping that episode in the coming days. It's a long-awaited episode, and I'm really looking forward to it. The next the big event after that is the Milrose Games. So I'm going to try and see if I can snag some interviews when people come into New York City. And you can always tweet at me, at Chris Chavez, or at Sidious Mag, on suggestions of who you'd like to hear on the show. 
And also something I realized I haven't said on this show, but we've done it with Runners of NYC. If you give us a shout out on your Instagram story, some people are really good at this. They tag at Sidious Mag and we will repost it on our story. And we appreciate everyone who has done what they can to get the word out about the show. And that includes, as always, like what I like to say, leaving a five-star review and a nice comment on Apple Podcasts. This really helps other people find the show and allows us to continue growing. Thanks again to Strava for supporting the show. Reed Fisher actually uses Strava, and you can check out all his workouts, including the Houston half, which has some crazy splits on his profile. I'll link to that in the show notes. But most importantly, what you can do is visit strava.com slash summit and use promo code Sidious, that's C-I-T-I-U-S, all lowercase, when you purchase an annual Summit subscription, and you will receive the Sidious Mag Podcast listener exclusive discount. Check that out today, strava.com slash summit. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And don't forget, legs are feeling good.